0: Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way. This episode is another roundtable on the way, a more in-depth feature to explore things a little further than we can squeeze into the usual 15 minutes. For this installment, we celebrate World Day for Consecrated Life. Each year on February 2nd, we mark the Feast of the Presentation, or Candlemas. This day is chosen also to celebrate religious sisters, brothers, and priests for the way that they respond to God's invitation to shine his light throughout our world. Today we gathered together a panel of religious women and men to share a roundtable discussion on religious life. Our guests come from different religious communities and diverse personal backgrounds and offer unique witness from their religious lives. Let's take a moment to learn about each of them. Sister June Fitzgerald OP from the Dominican Sisters of Peace. June was born in North Carolina and grew up in Virginia. She met the Dominican Sisters at a retreat for young single women and soon became a volunteer and frequent visitor to their community. As a religious sister, June has served in retreat ministry, spiritual direction, congregational leadership, and now as the vocation director for her congregation. Today she has the great joy of living in one of their houses of welcome for discerning women candidates and sisters in the beginning stages of formation. The Dominican Sisters of Peace are part of the worldwide Dominican order, engage in a wide variety of ministries, and always strive to be peace, build peace, and preach peace in their lives and ministries. Learn more at oppeace.org. Sister Mary Yoon, O.P., from the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose. Mary is a convert and became Catholic at age 8 along with her family. She immigrated to the U.S. from South Korea and grew up in Southern California. She joined the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose in 2006 and has ministered as a social worker and therapist in many settings and now serves as the candidate director. Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose belong to the wider Dominican family, or Order of Preachers, which has an 800-year legacy of service in many settings, such as Catholic schools, parishes, and social services, preaching the truth and love to the young, the poor, and the vulnerable. Learn more at msjdominicans.org. Father Rodrigo Uloa, Mary Null Priests and Brothers. Rodrigo moved with his whole family from Guatemala to the U.S. in 1999, where he later joined the U.S. Air Force. His studies during military service were interrupted by the September 11th attacks, after which he was suddenly assigned to Abu Dhabi. There, a U.S. Air Force chaplain became his role model. After completing his service, Rodrigo entered the seminary and crossed paths with a Maryknoll father that inspired him to join Maryknoll in 2004, after which he completed his overseas training program and was ordained a Maryknoll priest in 2011. Maryknoll is a Catholic society of apostolic life of missionary priests and brothers, who for over a hundred years have modeled themselves after the compassion and love of Jesus in reaching out to those in the world who are most in need. This happens by direct evangelization and various pastoral ministries like healthcare, education, agricultural training, and many more. Learn more at MaryNollsociety.org. And finally, brother John Eustace, CSV of the Viatorians. John was born in Illinois and grew up in Las Vegas. He's been a Viatorian since 2005 He served in pastoral ministries in Viatorian schools and parishes in Chicagoland, in Bourbonnais, Illinois, and in Belize. John now is studying for priesthood, while continuing to serve as director of vocation ministry for the Viatorians. Viatorians are professed brothers and priests, as well as lay associates, who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel, and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. Typically, Viatorian ministries focus on teaching the faith, leading liturgy, walking with youth, and working for justice with those people whose society accounts of little importance. Learn more at Viatorians.com. I'm Dan Masterton from Viatorian Vocation Ministry, and it's my pleasure to produce this episode for you. It was a great, enjoyable conversation, and if not for our muted Zoom mics, you'd have heard a lot of laughter as we listened to one another. To begin our discussion, I asked our panelists to talk about a unique opportunity in their religious lives— Maybe something that others could possibly do, but something that became particularly accessible and possible because of religious life. I'll reintroduce each panelist to you when they first speak. I invited Sister June from the Dominican Sisters of Peace to answer this opening question first.
1: Wow, that's a great question. And there are several options I could go with. One of them uh, would be the option of my ability to travel different places. One of the things that I discovered since becoming a Dominican almost 30 years ago was that we are a worldwide organization, order of Dominicans. And so there are Dominicans all across the world. And at one point I had the opportunity to travel to a program called the Parable Tour which is the um, lands of Dominic. And so it, we traced uh, where St. Dominic, who is the founder of our order, where he was born and grew up. And it was an opportunity to be together with 45 other Dominicans, sisters, brothers, and priests during that time. And that's when I realized the universality, the connection across the world that we as Dominicans And also as religious had that worldwide network of religious is one of those things that I think most lay people have no clue about but almost anywhere I go, I could reach out to a religious congregation and make connections and uh, in the. local areas where I might be visiting. So that travel and is one of them.
0: Next to answer our opening question was Brother John from the Viatorians.
2: Yeah, so for me, uh, it's been, there have been a couple of unique opportunities that have merged together as the time goes on as being a religious brother. Uh, I was afforded the opportunity to study and to get a certificate in being a youth minister. And after that, I was afforded another opportunity to take that literally on the road or shall we say in the air and landing in Central America, uh, working at a parish uh, that we used to um, uh, be a part of. And so going to Central America in Belize, when I was asked if I would go there, I said, yes, sure, I would go. But I also needed to learn a language called Spanish. So in the religious life of becoming part of a community and being trained specifically in a ministry such as youth ministry. I was also asked to be trained in learning how to speak Spanish so then I could bring those skills together into a parish in the northern area of Belize. And so that's another unique opportunity that was there. In the process of learning Spanish, so I got to live with other Viatorians who were uh, in Colombia and Learning a language among my confers, among my brothers in community, uh, was an opportunity to be able to communicate more effectively with with men with whom I'm sh- I share this common life, uh, but maybe I don't always share a common language, but it gives more of a contour of who we are worldwide, much like Sister June was talking about.
0: Next, we heard from Father Rodrigo from the Maryknoll priests and brothers. My answer to this question would be
3: the proximity that I've uh, received to the Holy Land by virtue of joining Marino. It is somewhere of a dream location for some people. But when we join our communities, we learn about Jesus. And immediately you learn, well, he was born in Bethlehem and he passed through Jerusalem, through the Holy Land. And so I've traveled to the Holy Land and it is it is a magical place, uh, not far from Bethlehem. I think both, there's a big bridge in between both. And so the, the chance to go to the Holy Land uh, as a student, as a seminarian, as a deacon as well, and then two years ago as a priest with a bunch of my family, that was just really... Mm, one of the highlights of uh my mm, years in formation then after formation priesthood you get to know the places where jesus walked lived where he performed miracles where he was born uh and and and, you know that's where everything began And, and, and i hope every person uh has a chance to do a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. It reinforces our vocation. It reinforces our faith. It enthuses us to to learn more about Jesus Christ. Um, And you want more. This place never stops. It has so many nuances. And I like archaeology. And there's so many layers to it. So you just go deeper and deeper. And you learn so much about our faith, tradition, and the beauty of, of the Jewish people. Jesus was a, a Jew, and that's where a lot the three major religions of the world uh, sort of um, come out from, stem out from. So I encourage young folks to look for um, whether it's a pilgrimage or a trip. It, it really does something within. It's it's a journey that transforms. It transformed me.
0: Finally, we heard from Sister Mary of the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose.
4: And I think for me, uh, being a religious, it afforded me many opportunities for spiritual development. And as Brother John and Sister June have mentioned, uh, that includes opportunities to study. And I remember taking my first philosophy class. I can't say I enjoyed it, <laughs> but, but I did appreciate the opportunity and the ability uh, for me to think critically and knowing that, you know, some, um, some areas of studies, I just have to Put up with, but but it it was really good. And um I was able to get my master's in theology as well. Um and um having the ability to go into the chapel whenever I feel like praying. That is the greatest gift for me, and our life is structured so that we have time for communal prayers, but also for personal prayers as well as going into a spiritual direction. And I didn't even know what that was before I became a sister. Uh, that seemed like a luxury. Like, wow, you have time to talk to somebody about your journey and what God might be doing in your life. That really sounded like a lux- luxury for me. But as a religious, it's a necessity. Um, so I think for me, um, a lot of, opportunities to travel, and I was part of the um, 800th pilgrimage for the Dominican Order, where 100 friars and 25 sisters from the U.S. uh, and all, 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 all over the world. We came together, and we visited Spain, France, and Italy, and it was really awesome as June... has mentioned that uh, it is a worldwide order and we are a Dominican family.
0: I wonder if we could look out from your religious communities to the church and to the world and think about what do you think your religious life and your religious communities offer to the church and the world that maybe is distinct or uniquely rich because of the lives you live together with your communities and yourselves and your interior life and your prayer life. And then maybe another way to think about it is what might be missed if a religious community has to withdraw from an area, or what might be gained when a religious community decides we need to go to this particular place and seek to serve the people there. So I wonder if you could talk about the unique gifts that your religious life and your religious community bring with your presence, or maybe even what's missed when you have to withdraw from somewhere. And why don't we start this question with Brother John?
2: So the unique uh, qualities, the unique way that the Viatorians approach the world is through the lens of walking with young people, mainly. Uh, we say that we proclaim Jesus Christ in his gospel and raise up communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated, and oftentimes that's in uh, ministry to young people, but also ministry with young people. Many times young people are in our schools or in our parishes are asking, hey, is there a way that we can uh, address this situation? Is there... A way that we can get involved with uh, making the liturgy more active and the answer is yes Uh, but there's a caveat to that answer no matter where we are in the world is how are you going to be involved with this young person Um, so i believe that that's a unique way that viatorians approach ministry and approach bringing the gospel to life uh, it's not only to young people but from young people as well because if you ever go into a parish where Uh, maybe most of the the hair color is uh, gray or white or uh, the agility is not too great Uh, when a young person comes in the energy that they bring enlivens the place and we really believe that young people are the uh, not the future of the church but they are the present of the church and they bring that energy and that curiosity to everything we do so then another piece of the Viatorians is that we're looking to uh, raise up those who are counted of little importance by many people in society. And so who better to help us do that than, than young people? And I remember there was a uh, volunteer from one of our parishes. He came down to Belize when I was there and he had experiences of Viatorians in our parish in Henderson, Nevada. He also had experiences of the Viatorians in Haiti. I don't really know any of the Haitian Viatorians. But then he also had experiences of our mission in beliefs. And I said to him, hey, Bill, what is a common thing that you see in the Viatorian world? And he said, without a doubt, your dedication to young people and having them live out the faith. So I know when we leave a place, when we have to leave a place, um, good preaching, good teaching is, is missed. From our perspective, but when we go to a new place, um, teaching and preaching and walking with uh, young people is is uh, is present. And on our uh, medallion that we receive for uh, our vows, uh, it says uh, it says "Senite ad me," which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter ten. Uh, let the children come unto me. So from our founder, uh, walking and working with young people has been uh, essential.
4: I was thinking about our founders and foundresses of our orders and congregations um, and they became the prophetic voice and the public witness in their times. So for example, Dominic in the 1200s Many clergy, they enjoy the comforts of wealth. And yet here, Dominic, he established a mendicant order where, where um, voluntary poverty was so important um, to follow Jesus more closely. And I was thinking about uh, many orders and congregations in the U.S. Uh, in the 1800s. Um, it was so many religious women and men who came and established the schools, the hospitals, a lot of social services, and they became the prophetic voice and the public witness to serve the poor, the recent immigrants. Um, So I was thinking today, what does that mean for us religious today? Um, And we do as religious we do a lot of social justice endeavors Um, right now we are trying to fight racism and how to better take care of our mother earth Um, also serve the migrants and uh, a sister that came to my mind uh, was sister norma uh, Pimentel. she's not a dominican but she's a religious and she's such an example of what that means to serve to our refugees, to our migrants um, in this world today.
1: When uh, I think of different religious congregations, I well, when I think of our history as Dominican Sisters of Peace, one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about how um, what our legacy is after we've been at a place, And I was thinking of, I was down in Miami, Florida. Our sisters had been in Miami, Florida for more than 50 years. And we had retreat centers and ministries in different parishes, a variety of different things. And in 2004, our congregation decided to sell our retreat house there to the diocese because we were needed someplace else. And we could see at that time that there were lay people and other clergy within the diocese who could continue that ministry, that retreat ministry. And so we listened to a call to go someplace else. And so we did, and we left the ministry, we passed it on to a new group of people to steward into the future, and today, almost 18 years later, it's continuing, the retreat ministry there is continuing as vibrant as ever and has become a little bit different. The local church has really put its mark on it and it's evolved a little bit and continues to evolve to really meet the needs of the time there. Another example that I thought of was an example of our congregation going somewhere to start a new ministry we were invited to go to New Orleans where we already had some ministries, but we were invited to look around in this particular area of New Orleans that had been uh, seriously affected by Katrina. And we were invited to look around and see what was needed. This was many years after Katrina. And we realized there was a need for presence, the ministry of presence, of a peaceful presence in this area. And so we opened a peace center where the students can come after school to do their homework, to be a safe place for them. And then during the day, there are programs for senior citizens and other people in the area to give them a safe place to come to and to also learn how they too can be and become peacemakers. So it's there's an ebb and a flow. We go places, we leave places, It's dynamic. I can't just be stagnant or the same all the time.
3: The question was, what does religious life offers the church? And I see it differently. I see it the other way around. The church offers religious life and religious life offers opportunities for young folks to share their gifts, whether it is to join a contemplative community, a missionary community, a diocesan group, a group that works in hospitals or prisons, a group that is rooted in campus ministry in education, high schools, a group like Mother Teresa's, where they serve those who are dying in parts of the world, uh, that are fourth or third world countries. Religious life offers a lot of possibilities for young people to find their own voice in the church. Our founders, the marinal community that I represent, marinal fathers and brothers, we have this saying from one of the four men who went to China in 1918. We go where we are, Needed but not wanted, and we stay there until we are wanted but not needed, and that's so true uh, and, and so we are mobile, flexible, temporary as missionaries. and it's important to highlight what can uh, what can happen when the church is is gone. you see when when the church is taken away from people you lose a lot of uh the 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 well you lose the essence of 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 what the church mission is to to share all the gifts that god gives us and so i think i i pray for young people who are listening right now uh, if you're listening to this message and, and you want to share your gifts you want to find your voice Talk to a vocation director, that person will lead you in, in, in the right direction. Uh, it's never too late.
0: Listening to some of the ways you describe um, the responsiveness and dynamic nature of religious life, you know, in places like Boston, Chicago, other areas of the church, where the church is reorganizing, evaluating its resources, trying to figure out a path for the future, I think there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness. But I hear in the creativity of your charism and your religious life, kind of a peace and a hope about that reorientation and a a commitment to continue walking with people, whether in a place that is being left to new stewards or a place that is new for you as a religious community. And I think that that just that difference in hope and tone is such a gift to the church and to the people that you serve. And religious communities bless the church with the way that the charism pursues the needs in society and in the world in a way that the boundaries of the diocese, even in a larger church might be limited. And so you have these brothers and sisters and priests who are going to meet needs in a different way um, than a diocese or a church-based organization may be doing it. Um, So as a way of continuing the conversation, maybe we'll start this time with Father Rodrigo. Uh, Some people are familiar with a few of the basics, this and that of religious life. Maybe they've seen certain habits or they're aware of the vows that are professed. Maybe they know that sisters and brothers and priests are serving others with their lives. But what are some of the surprises or what are some of the, you know, best kept secrets of religious life? What's maybe a gift of religious life that that people don't know enough about and you wish they would know more about, whether from something you've lived or something you've seen among your community. So let's start with you, Father Rodrigo.
3: Yes, very good question. Let's use the word vocation. Take the O of vocation and add an A, vacation. We are allowed to have vacation in our religious life. We are encouraged to spend time with family, and that's our first Bethlehem, if you will. Most people think uh, that or they have an erroneous idea of, well, we never go home. We, we never have fun. We're, no, we are entitled. We have uh, the capacity to, to take leave, to take vacation. We don't sort of detach from our vocation. But it's a time to just have fun. And isn't that where, what we all look for? For happiness, to embrace a life. A joyful life that can allow us to respond to God's call responsibly, with joy, serving others. Uh, ora et labora, right? Praying while you while you work, working while you pray, and having fun. If we are upbeat about our vocation, if we are joyful about the stories of our lives, the story of of how. God calls us. We will have influence on young people. We will speak to their hearts. Uh, so the element of joy, it's, it's, it's a secret. And no wonder why you meet religious people and there's something about them that it, it, it's, they're, they're the party of the room. And sometimes they don't have to say a word. It's something that they emanate and it's this joyful presence that comes from, from our relationship, uh, a long-lasting relationship with, with Jesus, the element of joy. So let's pray for joy among our youth, among our elders, among our seniors, among our children.
4: I echo what Father Rodrigo um, was saying. And I want to approach that joy from another angle. So before I entered, I thought if sisters lived under a rock. Very, very detached from reality, from the world, and I was so surprised to find out that um, they have social gatherings on Friday afternoons, and they even watch Netflix. Oh my God, that blew my mind. <laughs> so, um, the this notion how normal the sisters were that that was something that I didn't know before and that gave me hope oh maybe I can be a sister because I don't have to live under a rock I love my phone I I need my laptop Um, I want to do a lot of things that I used to do uh, which is like walking hiking and sisters even go to the museums wow consider that um so doing the things that normal people enjoy we're not apart from the world but we're in the world and we we weren't born sisters or brothers or priests we responded to god's invitation to consider this vocation and we discerned and we said yes so just because you enter it doesn't mean you become this person very static and and no fun at all. (laughs) So the joy that I saw in my sisters, that really attracted me. And I wanted to join uh, Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose because I wanted to find out what was in their water that (laughs) made them joyful. (laughs) And ever since I've been looking, (laughs) and I think the secret is um, that we get to be who we are, how God meant us to be. I think that's the secret. And well, for me, that's how I'm defining it. It could be different for other people, but yeah, definitely the joy piece um, is a gift to the world.
2: So with the Viatorians, I, I think of this question and I can only think of the first thing that comes to mind is how human Uh, everybody is and how everybody in our community is encouraged to be themselves. But my very first experience of Viatorian community life is when I accidentally uh, was introduced to it because my friend's car broke down and I I was stranded at their province center for two and a half or three days. And it was in a, probably in July or August. So it was summertime. Most of these guys were teachers. There was one guy from Spain, brother Jota Hota was there as well. And okay, here I am just a visitor observing this group of men and they're wearing shorts. They're wearing t-shirts. Some of them have flip-flops on. They're relaxing. They're watching TV. They're doing a cookout. Some of them are drinking beer. And I was saying, what, they can do that. And then, um, Yes, they can. Yes, we can. And they were also watching a movie uh, that probably would be a movie that I wouldn't ever want to watch with my parents. Um, But they're normal people, and they're laughing at it. They're making jokes. And then as I joined, and I I intentionally used the word join and not enter. As I joined, um, all the gifts and idiosyncrasies and whatever else that is in this package called John Eustace, is accepted in the community and encouraged. Maybe some parts are discouraged, but mostly encouraged. Uh, So things like hiking and uh, being in the mountains and hanging out with my friends who are outside of the community is highly, highly encouraged. Being with my family as well. Uh, I remember when I was living in Central America, I made the observation, wow, it's been five years since I've been home for Christmas. And our leadership said, well, you better fix that and go home for Christmas. Uh, oh, okay, I will. So um, yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises is this is is a normal life, uh, maybe with some extraordinary uh, missions that we need to do to help bring about the gospel. But uh, God uses normal people, maybe some abnormal ones of us too. Uh, I'm thinking of when I was applying and I was uh, working on filling out my uh, questionnaire from the psychologist. There was a brother who was trying to play a practical joke and he put on one of the old cassocks. Uh, viatorians used to wear cassocks and he's running down the hallway with a gorilla mask on going, ah! and I look at him and I'm looking at this uh, psychological evaluation, just thought, well, heck, if they allowed him, I think I'm in. But anyway, a good sense of humor is probably one of the most surprising things and uh, something that I I love and uh, something that really, um, I think, helps bring joy into the world.
1: Some great answers there. There's several different things that come to mind. Um, And one of them is that that the things people might uh, be surprised about is that As religious we can use our education and our talents for example it and be a sister or a brother or a priest we have a sister who is a biomedical engineer who does research Uh, we have a sister uh, there's a Dominican sister in France who is uh, works on the the atomic collider where they have the the atoms get smashed together. She's a physicist. And then we also have sisters who are uh, English majors who have studied medieval uh, English literature and uh, teach in a university, which is a a more common thing people would expect from uh, religious sisters or brothers or priests. But also we have sisters who are massage therapists, sisters who are psychotherapists, uh, counselors, uh, much like Sister Mary is, is, people, who use their skill in engineering. Uh, I know a man who is a priest in a missionary congregation, and he has been missioned to different places to help people learn how to engineer bridges across difficult places. Um, Others who study agriculture in order to help uh, people to plant and plan for um, feeding their families and their communities even better. So, there are so many different things religious can do. The other thing that I think is a, probably a misconception people think, oh, well, I guess you couldn't do anything else, and that's why you became a sister or a brother or a priest. You know, you couldn't get married, or you know, you don't get along with people. No, contrary to that, so often many of us have had to choose between several goods getting married entering religious congregation um continuing as a single person very successful in a career and yet god calls us to this life uh, calls us to our religious congregation and calls us to consecrate ourselves as religious persons in the world in order to bring Christ to them, to bring hope. And in my congregation with Dominican Sisters of Peace, we focus a lot on how can we be peace, build peace, and preach peace where it is so needed today, not only in the United States but around the world. So those are just some of the things people might not know about religious life.
0: It's really well said. I think um there's at times this misconception of, um, almost like you could think for married people that your soulmate is some one person who crossed paths with you one time in your life. And if you don't notice in that moment, you both both miss the boat and you'll never meet each other again and your marital life will never you know, blossom. I think it's the same with religious life, with married life, with continuing as a single person. God's invitation is ongoing and our exploration of it has to come from a place of continued prayer and continued community life. And so you see in these expressions of religious life, you've all described that if you're attentive to that, not only might it lead you to religious life and profession of vows, but it might also lead you to different programs of study, different careers, different placements here, there, or very far away. Um, And all of it is a chance to bring life and hope and joy to a place and to bring Christ and peace to others. So I think you've given witness to it beautifully. At this point in the conversation, our panelists wanted to talk a bit more specifically about young people who might be exploring God's invitation to religious life. In particular, they wanted to speak to the question, what does it mean to make contact with a vocation director? Together, they wanted to reflect a bit about how that contact doesn't involve any commitment but rather as a gift to oneself and to one's discernment and a way to deepen one's prayer life and self-knowledge. Their ministry as companions to people in discernment is really central to their religious life. So they wanted to speak more intentionally to those young people who might be thinking about this. Here's some of their reflections.
1: What happens when somebody actually reaches out and contacts a vocation director or fills out a form online to look for more information? Well, You'll get contacted back most likely vocation directors aren't the kind of people who who don't return the phone call they'll call you back and reach out to you. But they'll follow your lead, if you want to be engaged with them in terms of attending programs or speaking with them they'll follow your lead definitely and again like sister Mary said, you always have the freedom to respond or not to respond so when i start working with people who reach out to me about a vocation first of all i have a conversation with them to see who they are and share a little bit about me and my congregation and see, you know, what questions they have. And sometimes right away I can say, oh, well, it sounds very much like you're looking for a contemplative congregation, or maybe you're still in school and you, I might recommend that you finish up your degree, um, but we could certainly walk together during that time. And we often invite people to attend what we call a come and see retreat, or just to come and see the congregation, you know, Brother John, you have a great story about getting stranded at the uh, Provincial House and really learning what the brothers and the priests were like. It's There is no substitute for visiting different religious congregations. And don't just visit one, visit more than one so that when you have settled on one, oh, this is definitely where I belong, Mission San Jose, but visit a few others to see maybe there's another one that's even better for you and that way you can actually compare them so jump right in so those are a few things what do other people have to say about the discernment process
4: i think along with that sister june uh one thing that i found helpful when i was discerning 100 years ago was that when i checked out other congregations i learned so much about myself for example, um, I always like to eat, and I always had enough food, but certain congregations they're either vegan or they their charism is pennant, so I found out that for dinner they only had a garden salad and I was starving, and I've, I've never <laughs> been that hungry in my life before, so after that i learned that oh okay when i go to a come and see weekend i need to bring some snacks with me and yes uh the spiritual things you know religious life is all good but how does that fit how does that congregation or that order fit with who i am is my body is my uh my spirituality compatible with their congregation. So those are the questions you can ask the vocation director, but you have to do your inner work as well. You take things um, to prayer and and you are praying about you know what what it is that I desire, What is my deepest desire? So you do have to ask many, many questions. And when you're discerning, there will be a lot more questions than answers. And sometimes the answers are found in your questions. So trusting the process is a key.
2: So when I walk with a a person who has reached out, whether through an email or a direct message on Instagram or whatever, um, one of the things that I'm looking for is how has this person's walk with God been? Uh, so looking at where is the sense of call coming from? Is it brand new? Is somebody uh, calling us because they have just gone through RCIA, the Right of Christian Initiation for Adults, and uh, has this fervor of, I want to be a part of the church? That's great if, if they are, but we want to be able to let that new fervor settle in and understand where this invitation is coming from or where this motivation for this person contacting the viatorians is coming from. So it's, it's walking, it's not running. It's, it's uh, listening, it's not shouting. It's, it's um, accompanying is, is the name of the discernment game. And like a lot of what uh, Sister June and Sister Mary were saying too, uh, it's helping the, the person who is in discernment to um, listen to what's going on inside of them. But at the same time, for those of us who represent our different communities, we're listening on behalf of the community too, because we know how uh, we function. We know uh, what some of the demands might be. We know what, uh, for example, the Viatorians are not a contemplative community. And if somebody wants to join us and wants to have morning and evening prayer and night prayer uh, in community, I know that that is not gonna be a good fit because we're out with people and uh, praying and working with them. So, um, and just in a, in a way of let's say you do say, yes, uh, this community is for me. I feel like I am being called to join it. Uh, great. I don't know about the other vocation directors, but I do know for my experience, I'm walking with people for quite a long time before the application discussion even comes up. I'm walking with them looking at spirituality looking at how are their relationships with their friends what are other people in their lives about um how how is god calling this person before we even get to that point and it's usually probably two three years before somebody even says it's time to time for me to start applying um so it's a it's a step-by-step journey and let's say you apply and you become a pre-novice or a postulant, great, that's only for a year. And then the novitiate is only a year. And so there's, you're not joining for life when you reach out to a, a vocation director, but what you are doing is you're saying, yes, let me, let me take this step and then I'll see what my next step will be. And that's what we as vocation directors are are trained to do and we love to walk with people like that.
3: For those who are discerning, my advice at the beginning stages is don't have too many groups that you're discerning with. Narrow your choices to a handful. Otherwise, you'll go in circles and sort of like going shopping and just trying to choose and you don't choose and then this goes on forever. No, listen. I think... uh, The vocation directors here have made it very clear that this is a life decision. So listen because God will tell you where do you fit? And yes, there may be a wrestling with God uh, time frame where, you know, God is telling you this and you're trying to convince God that you're a good fit for that. Well, that's part of discernment. Uh, But if you do that with 20 communities, you're not going to go anywhere. Narrow your choices to three and then set a time frame where you're going to decide and make the choice and trust. Let go of the others. It's discerning between two two or three goods. Let God tell you where. And remember, there's no perfect community. If you're looking for a perfect community um uh, i think uh i'm i'm I, if if my colleagues find it uh, i'll like to hear it but we're not perfect we're human we're trying to follow jesus with the inspiration of mary and so just do that favor to yourself don't choose too many have three good ones solid ones that are conducive to your gifts are within your reach, within your like, and at some point, just choose one. And 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 trust, I mean, this is, you're not doing something uh, arbitrary. You're, you're discerning with a vocation director. And at some point, uh, just commit.
0: One more question. Um, and this one is probably a little bit more personal, but also kind of challenges you to be a bit of a, an advice giver or a, a wisdom offer, um, even in your humility. Um, I wondered what you might say to young people, um, people in general, young people in general, who are just striving to deepen their spirituality, who want to have a deeper faith. What might you tell them to practice? What might you ask them to remember? What might you try to remind them to know in their hearts? And then even among those young people in general, what might you say to those who are more seriously considering religious life or have even had a moment where it's popped into their heads and they're not sure how seriously to entertain it. Wondered what you might say from your religious point of view or your experience in working with people who are exploring a vocation. What might you have to offer? So Sister Mary, I wanted to ask you this question first.
4: Sure, thank you. Yeah, I would say give religious life a chance um, and remember that God always respects our freedom. Um, The reason I say that is one of the most common misconceptions I hear from women who are discerning with us is that um, they think they'll go to hell if God is inviting them to be a sister and they say no and they get married and I'm like no that's not how it works. (laughs) It really does not (laughs) um, happen that way. Um, So I want to say to those young people who are considering religious life, we need to discern. And as vocation directors, it's our ministry to discern with you what your gifts are, what your vocation might be. But in that mutual discernment, you find out about, about yourself so much. And I think one thing that I did that was the greatest in my 20s is to call a vocation director and say okay I'm not saying I'm going to enter (laughs) don't sign me up yet because I'm only 20 something so I have a whole life ahead of me but I want to discern what what God has in mind for me so don't be afraid to email the vocation director or call uh, you can call one any one of us and talk about what it might be that god might be inviting you to and remember god always invites but you have the choice to say yes or no one other thing that i wanted to say is when you talk with the vocation director there is no pressure for you to enter or join the community so if vocation director is pressuring you then there are other vocation directors (laughs) so you can switch your vocation director to somebody else but god does not force you to do anything that you don't want to do and you wouldn't do it anyway right so so listen to that voice and pick up a call pick up a phone and call or email Um, and really give yourself the gift of discernment.
1: Very well said, uh, Sister Mary. That's give yourself the gift, give yourself the opportunity. And I was thinking many people say, how do we actually discern? You talk about discernment, what does that really mean? It really basically means bringing God into your decision-making, inviting God into the process. And not just writing your pros and cons list but really praying about it and one of the first steps i encourage people to do is to think about themselves get to know themselves How do I relate to God? Is it through music? Is it through nature? Is it through backpacking in the mountains like John loves to do? Um, I don't think I would do that by myself or um, and I'm not sure I would find God doing that. I might uh, actually get scared. But uh, each of us is unique. And how does God speak to you? How does God communicate to you? For me, I discovered that God was calling me to contemplative prayer and I learned to sit in silence as a young adult. And that was where I was finally able to get in touch with that center, that center where God dwelled within my spirit and where I could finally listen to God when I got rid of all the noise and everything that was swirling around, but to focus on that. And so to get to know yourself and to spend time with God, spend time in prayer. Don't be afraid. As Mary said, God's not going to ask you to do something that you're not willing to do. Uh, you might be need to be courageous, but God always gives us freedom. And the other thing that I am adamant about, and I share with everybody I meet, God loves you. God loves you just as you are in all of the mistakes you've made, in all of the wonderful things you've done. God loves you no matter what. And if you don't hear anything else, hear that. God loves you.
2: For young people who are looking at uh, God's invitation in their life and striving to deepen spirituality, uh, first of all, there's no wrong way uh, to approach it. I think the only wrong way is to say, oh, there, there is no such thing as spirituality and God doesn't want to hear from me or I don't, uh, I don't think that it's worth checking into where God is in my life. That might be uh, the only thing that I would say. I think there's, there's something there that maybe you should check out. Now, how do you do it? What kind of prayer style? There's nobody who can tell anybody this works better than that. Uh, but I, what I would say is explore. Uh, explore all the different types of prayer styles that are out there. God knows there's enough on Google that you can search or YouTube or, or wherever. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts that can lead you through things. Um, there are vocation directors or spiritual directors or groups of friends who can, can guide you through trying out different types of, of prayer. And if you're wondering, I don't even know where to start, maybe just start by uh, setting aside three to five minutes and set a timer, set everything aside and say, okay, God, this is your time, ready, set, go, and just sit there and see what happens. That's prayer. Um, And then hopefully it develops from there. And as a Viatorian, one of the ways that we look at at prayer and our relationship with God is uh, jumping deeply into the Word of God, opening up the Bible, looking at the, the readings for the upcoming Mass, maybe even imagining ourselves in that particular scene in the Gospel, or maybe practicing Lectio Divina, Reading a passage and letting a word or a phrase grab our attention and then just kind of chew on that word or phrase, allowing the scripture to read us instead of us reading the scripture. Or going out into nature or whatever. Just place yourself there and find other people who are asking the same questions. I think if we do that, then we're able to start to detect where God is moving or how God is inviting As far as a vocation goes, as a religious vocation, whether to become a sister or to become a brother or a priest, um, how does one know if one needs to discern that? Well, one of the common things that I look at or that I, uh, a metaphor that I try to use is I think all of us have had the experience before of uh, going about our day, leaving home, and maybe we're going to work or we're going to school or going to something where we're gonna be away from the house for a, a period of time. And then the question of, huh, did I leave the garage door open? Or the question of, is the front door unlocked? Or did I leave the oven on? Or any sort of uh, question like that uh, pops up. It's kind of like what discernment is. Now to in a way to there's really only two ways to find out if the garage door is open or the front door is unlocked or the oven is on. Number one is go back and take a look. Number two is call somebody and ask them to check for you. Well, I think that's what discernment is about. You have to do both calls. You have to, A, go back and take a deeper look and say, is this really something? Is the garage door open, so to speak? Um, is God really calling me to this? And if I don't have time to, or if I need somebody else's verification, can you please go check? Then uh, they're going to be able to verify. Oh yeah, yeah, your garage door is open. Or yes, God is calling you because I've noticed this, that, or the other thing. You're really good at working with people, or you're really good at preaching, or you're very good at at listening. Um, Those are the types of things that we need. So pay attention to the garage door hanging open, uh, the thing that nags you that you can't get out of your mind or out of your heart. And chances are, if you're thinking of becoming a sister, or what that might be like, or presiding at a liturgy as a priest, or working in a classroom as a brother, or as a social worker in any of these capacities, if your imagination is, is bothering you with this, then there's probably something there. So you need to go and check it out and you also need to have somebody else verify it for you.
3: For me, and I'm sure my colleagues present here as vocation directors, uh, they've heard of the question, when is this going to end? We have navigated through already two years of uncertainty. Remember this. Do not let the uncertainty take away the certainty that you feel deep within, inside you, where you and God exist in a better quality. This will pass. So if you feel the promptings of the Holy Spirit inviting you to take the leap of faith and, 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 and try, try it out, right? Join the seminary, join the convent, try a religious life. Call Sister Mary, call Sister June, call Brother John. The Marinal Fathers and Brothers would love to have you. We have a short saying here in Marinel as well. Be there, be a missionary, be Marinel. Do not be afraid. You've been hearing the different testimonials uh, from vocation directors and I hope it has sparked this assurance in you to say yes, try it out, right? That's the very beginning. You you have to say yes. And then slowly with good guidance, with a good spiritual director, with ongoing dialogue with a vocation director, you begin to choose. Choose well. Don't be afraid to commit. The church needs you. It needs you.
0: Thank you, everyone, for everything you shared and for all of your candor and authenticity. I think you capture a really uh, joyful, hopeful, and, and prophetic portrait of religious life. And we hope that everyone who's listening shares in that joy and hope. And praise for you and praise with you for you and all your brothers and sisters and for all you do for the church. So thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank
4: you, Dan. Yeah.